Welcome back to Truth and Reason. Thank you for joining me on this study through Philippians. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm Chris Kramer. You can reach out to me at chriskramer11 at gmail.com, or you can comment on this program through the YouTube channel as well as the Facebook page, and appreciate you joining us on these studies. Uh, we finished up chapter 1 finally last week as we discussed uh, our conduct and walking according to the gospel of Christ, letting our conduct be worthy of that gospel. We've talked a lot about worthiness. It always seems to come up quite a bit in Paul's studies. And as we get into chapter 2, what we're going to start seeing is more of the detailed characteristics of the fellowship that we are to have uh, with one another and, of course, in Jesus Christ. So let's begin in our reading in verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We'll stop there for just a moment and reflect on what these verses are saying as we look at this terminology of, of if. That comes up quite a bit in Scripture when we talk about the state that we're in or the uh, state of uh, spiritual salvation that we are enjoying. Of course, it always goes back to the condition. A lot of people like to say, well, God loves us unconditionally, therefore I'm just automatically saved. And that's that's not what the Bible says. Does God love us unconditionally? Well, sure. He loves the world, uh, as John 3.16 clearly teaches us, to the point that he uh, was willing to sacrifice his son so that we might be saved. He's not saying that we were saved. He's not saying that we were right. And he's not saying he's going to accept us as the way that we are. And I know, especially in religion, that's not really the message a lot of people want to hear these days because they want to hear that no matter how they're living or what they believe is going to be acceptable in the sight of God because, you know, he is a God uh, for all. The gospel is for all, but the gospel must be obeyed. And in this first verse, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, is showing the current state that we may or may not be in depending on whether or not we have been obedient, as chapter 1 teaches us to be, and that our conduct is walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you are doing that, then uh, you get to fulfill you know, the joy of Paul. I mean, what is, what is Paul's joy all about? And we'll get to that in just a moment, but it's important to note that he took great joy in the faith of other people in the faith of the Philippians. But let's not get ahead of ourselves as we uh, talk about the consolation of Christ. I love that term. Uh, it goes back to Luke chapter 2, and uh, you see, of course, uh, Simeon and Anna the prophetess, and when Jesus was brought to the temple and presented, you know, he, he looks upon the baby and he says, I'm basically, to, in so many words, hey, I've lived my life now. I, I can die a happy man because I have seen the consolation of Israel. He has seen the fulfillment of what God had been prophesying of since the beginning of time, and that he would send a Messiah to redeem his people. So this term consolation comes up uh, a few times in Scripture, and here uh, we see our obedience in Christ is not in vain. 
that we uh, are enjoying the consolation that we have in Christ. I mean, just look at the, you know, the kind of the basics of the word consolation. We are consoled. We are comforted. We have um, these blessings from God through his son. And it's the only way that we, uh, you know, as individuals, as a people, are going to receive any kind of consolation uh, is if we are in Christ. Once again, it comes back to the same terminology that we see Paul the Apostle talking of through Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians about the necessity of being in Christ. So he's saying, if your consolation is in Christ, then you get to reap the benefits of that. And we'll discuss that in just a moment. Then he says, and if any comfort of love, once again, uh, do we have the comfort of love? Uh, what is love? You know, we've got to go back and see how much, again, John 3.16 comes to mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave us a way to be saved. That we must not walk in, in darkness, but in righteousness, as John 3 and verse 21, of course, goes on to teach us that we must do the works of God. And so in this, there is comfort as we look at the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ from Philippians chapter 4 and verses uh, 11 and following, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Down in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we get our strength, we get our comfort from the Lord. We get our strength and comfort from the tools that the Lord uses to aid in that comfort, and that's one another. And so you always see the connection between how we receive comfort from God and consolation as well is that uh, we do so through, uh, through his people, through one another, which is why the church exists, why we are to have fellowship with one another in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that in our next point where he says, if any fellowship of the Spirit. So again, you find another word that hinges on the fact that we are to be like-minded, that we are to think the same thing. And this all goes back to a verse I've quoted many times in our programs, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and really verse 9 to begin with when it talks about the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. Fellowship in the Spirit, you're going to have the same fellowship in Jesus Christ. It's through the revelation of the Word, it's through the understanding of obedience and obedience of His Word. But he says, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, so if you've taken this word, if you've accepted the plan of salvation, God's scheme of redemption, uh, if you've accepted those terms, uh, what you find is a fellowship with Jesus Christ. You cannot have fellowship with Christ without a fellowship with the Spirit. You can't have a fellowship with God the Father unless you are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. There are a lot of religions today that want to teach fellowship with God in general, speaking mainly of the Father, without recognizing Jesus as his son, and you just can't do that. Uh, the only way that we can have fellowship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. That was an important part of the message of Christ during his ministry while he was here upon this earth, and subsequently what the Holy Spirit revealed uh, to the newfound church uh, from the apostles. So when you see the fellowship of the Spirit, he also attaches to that the kind of attitude that we are to have, the characteristic, again, getting back to the title of our lesson, characteristics of fellowship come down to affection and mercy. And, uh, you know, these aren't just greeting card type things that Paul is speaking of. Uh, he uses this terminology a lot in his letters. I appreciate so much the things that he says to the Ephesians about, you know, being tenderhearted and loving one another 
And these are things that sometimes we kind of miss the point on because we're so focused on the obedience part. And I'm not trying to separate the two here, but we're so focused on going to church and being there and expecting everybody else to be that we forget what real genuine affection uh, and mercy is. Uh, God shows these things toward us, which he has shown through his son, Jesus Christ, and he in turn expects us to, re, you know, in return, show the same affection and mercy to one another. So we're to be understanding, we're to be helpful, we're to bring people to the Lord, not push them away from the Lord. And what you find here in Philippians chapter 1 is if there's any affection and mercy, <laughs> again, all the conditions leading up to this very important point that his joy would be fulfilled. If these things, and there's other passages that talk about things being yours and abounding in, if these things are the things that you're doing, then we're in a good place. Uh, I, can, I can have joy in your faith. I can have joy in the works that you're doing. I can have the joy in, in you know, your relationship with one another. And again, it gets back to John 3.16. I know I've used this a few times already in the, in the lesson, but God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his son that we should not perish. And so there are, all those elements are right there. The affection, God so loved, the action, he gave his son for what result? And here's the mercy, that we should not perish. And, you know, most of us like to use terms like, I'm undeserving, I'm unworthy. And yes, we talked about that last time. But it's important to note that in those things, God then puts us in a position where he says, I want you to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a command of God. And so we must strive for it, not throw our hands up and say, I'm not worthy. Almost like saying, I can't do it. And that's not what God is saying. I'm not going to deny that we are undeserving of all of these things, but we need to have confidence. And we cannot shrink from the fact that we are have consolation in Christ, that his plan is in action. We have comfort of love. It's been shown to us by God to us. We in turn need to show it to him, to one another, that we are in fellowship of the Spirit. And here's an important aspect of this. When you look in passages like 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll look at verse 10 in just a moment, but what you see there is the necessity of the unity that we are to have. That's one of the most important characteristics of being in fellowship is that we are not in fellowship by dividing. We're not in fellowship by disagreeing with one another and fighting with one another and debating one another. We are in fellowship when we are united in Christ through his doctrine, through what is being taught. In other words, you're saved just like I am. I'm saved just like you are. God doesn't tailor make salvation to fit the individual. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, let's address the joy that Paul has in these brethren here. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 4, where uh, it's often noted, and one of the themes of Philippians is how they brought Paul great joy. And he says in verse 4, always, now let's begin in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. And then he goes on to say, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So again, there you see all the elements that we're talking about. It's, Paul's not talking in circles here, but like preachers do, we sometimes like to remind people by saying the same thing over and over again. And Paul, I think, is notorious with that because it's important that we not miss these vital 
you know, encouragements from Scripture, like Philippians chapter 1 and verses 4 through 5, showing that our fellowship in the gospel, our faith, it's going to create joy. It's going to create that relationship. It's going to create that confidence, that consolation, that comfort, and all the things that Paul is saying are the, he's kind of asking, are, do you have these things? Are these the things that you uh, have, have, have taken hold of as a Christian? Are these the things that you're enjoying and showing in your life? If so, then fulfill my joy, he says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Sound familiar? Sure. Uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And once again, uh, this passage just always comes to mind. And, you know, he said the same thing to every church. And it's just one of those passages that's kind of easy to remember, especially when we talk about it all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we established in verse 9 just a moment ago, shows the fellowship we have in Jesus Christ. And verse 10 shows how we can all have that fellowship in Christ together. He goes on to say, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Most of us probably should have that memorized by now as often as we bring it up on the program because it's a constant theme through all of Paul's letters. It's a necessity that the church must have, but yet what do we see in our, our religious world today? You see division. In fact, it's in their names, denominations. I mean, a lot of people are saying, I believe the Bible my way, you believe it your way, and we'll just all love God together and get to heaven together. But I'm sorry, that's just not in the scripture. No, I'm not sorry. I'm sorry that people don't understand the, the necessity of the unity of doing God's will. But he says, here's what I want you to do. You want to fulfill my joy? Um, and in like manner, I don't think it's just about making Paul happy. But it's about fulfilling the joy of the Lord. There are many times in the Bible where it talks about pleasing God and how we must be pleasing to God. And this is no different. And again, I'll remind us, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. You can't do that unless you're sharing in the fellowship of the same gospel and having the unity of the fellowship of Jesus Christ. If you're not sharing in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, you're just not in fellowship with one another. If you're out here teaching one thing and somebody's teaching something else, that's not fellowship. Fellowship is not a general term that's used to say, well, I believe in Christ, you believe in Christ, we'll all be happy together. It's a term that specifically hinges upon the necessity of being educated about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. You cannot say, my doctrine is different from yours, but we're still in fellowship. That's a lie. That's deception. That's how Satan tries to convince us to not do the gospel of God. And so, you know, if you got two people preaching two different things, somebody is wrong. Somebody is wrong. How will you test that to know what is right? You have to compare it to Scripture. And it's ironic if at the end of the day you look at it and say, oh, we're both wrong. So let's get back on board with the Scripture. And many men have tried that over time. You've got you know, restoration movements and things like this that have, that, you know, have sparked throughout history because men finally got tired of all the division going on in the world and saying, yeah, let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to the Bible. And, uh, and then the same cycle starts all over again. But we need to go back to what the Lord wanted us to do from the beginning. In Colossians 3 and verse 1, I want to focus on this terminology just a little bit here in, um, in this idea that if. You know, that, that comes up a lot in Scripture. 
If is a conditional word in and of itself. And Colossians 3 and verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ. You can't just take it for granted that, okay, Christ died, uh, he rose from the dead, we're all saved. Again, that's not what the Bible says. But he's saying here, you know, are you in Christ? Have you been raised with Christ? Have this something that you, you know, actively pursued in your relationship with God? So he's saying, if then you were raised with Christ, then there's a certain expectation of you. There are responsibilities on your part. And he goes on to say in Colossians 3 and verse 1, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. There's a, there's a you know, I guess you could call it an antithesis to this as well. In Hebrews, if you turn your Bibles there to Hebrews 10 and look at verses 26 through 27, an important passage that shows us the danger of, of going the other way. You could almost say, in retrospect, uh, if you're not raised with Christ, then what are the circumstances? What, uh, what's the consequences of that? Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27, he says, For if, there it is again, if we sin willfully after we've received knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Kind of same thing that Second Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about. And what I find interesting in this particular passage here is the idea that if you're sinning willfully, then there, there should be an expectation on your part. Don't expect to go to heaven. Don't expect to have the blessings of God. Don't expect to have these uh, to have fellowship with Him when you are not abiding by the characteristics of fellowship, which is what we've been talking about: being in Jesus Christ, having the comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy. If these are not the things that you are doing and filling uh, the joy of the Lord of the Apostle Paul by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, how can you say you're going to heaven? How can you say that you love the Lord? How can you say you love Jesus Christ, yet you disrespect his very uh, you know, habitation that he died for? And that is the church. Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church, as we studied heavily uh, from our studies in Ephesians recently. But then he gets into some other characteristics as well of things uh, that we you know, should, not, should not do. And this gets back to how we treat one another. Uh, again, it gets back to the fellowship that we have with one another. And fellowship, as I'll just kind of redefine once again, is not just getting together. It's not just, you know, saying we agree to disagree. It's not just saying we like one another and, you know, um, and how much we love each other. But it is a consistent, uh, it's a consistent sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's putting one another ahead of ourselves especially in matters of, of salvation. Now, don't get me wrong, we're responsible for our own salvation. When we read this passage, let's just look at the characteristics in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. What's a word that might come to mind? Humility. I mean, that's, that's an important aspect right there. But when he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, you can work all day long, you can, you can do these things, um, but don't have love and don't put one another's, uh, you know, needs or, or salvation, if you want to look at it that way, above our own. In other words, are you helping somebody get to heaven or are you pushing them farther away? Uh, I don't think that for a lot of Christians they're just 
you know, running and, and screaming to get to heaven and pushing everybody out of the way while they're doing it. This isn't one of those get ahead in business lessons that you see going on in our world. No, this is something that we're sharing together. And in fact, if you're, you know, humble at all, you probably are seeking help to get there, seeking help of your fellow brethren, uh, seeking help of people that will encourage you and teach you and lift you up and, and help you gently get to heaven. But, you know, those are some of the qualities of our our fellowship once again the characteristics that we should have in humility and lowliness of mind that we humble ourselves before god we humble ourselves before one another and chances are pretty good if we're not humble in this life well then we're not humble in the presence of god no matter how many times we come to church or close our eyes and pray and all these kinds of things uh people get caught up in what i'll just call church tropes a lot of times and they go through the motions of you know, pretending to be Christians, I guess. But are they really when they when it comes down to what's in their heart? He says, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Why do we preach and teach the gospel? Why do we have this this expectation for others to do the same? Because we don't want to see anyone perish. We don't want to see anyone lost. Do we not take pity upon those that are struggling in this life? So do we not take pity upon those that are struggling in their faith? And so we want to encourage you and help you and know that you are not alone. You are responsible for your salvation. But we're here to help you, to pray for you, to uh, you know show you what forgiveness is. A lot of times people don't experience forgiveness a lot in their lives. And, um, you know, how many times have you been forgiven of something? And if you're one of those people that just never seem to do wrong to anybody, I, you know, more power to you. But ultimately, it comes down to this. There's no greater feeling than being forgiven by somebody. It's a most humbling experience. And if you want to be forgiven by God, then let the brethren of, of God, uh, let his children help you. And that's kind of what we're here for. And that's what I think Paul is taking a lot of comfort in, in looking at these characteristics of fellowship. That we're in fellowship with one another. We want to help each other get to heaven. And so uh, let's take comfort in that. To the consolation that we have in Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ? Let us know how we can help you. And we'll see you next time on Truth and Reason. I walk with the King, hallelujah. I walk with the King, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I walk and I talk with a key.